Okay. Yeah. Okay. And to be so we're so we're clear in our hand signals. <coughs> this is wrap it up. This is yeah. talk around the table more. Yeah. All right. Ra- this is wrapping up? Oh, God. That's not good. Anyway. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the mad, young, wicked, hip, and toad slay editors <laughs> of American media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I am Ashley McKinless, joined with Zach Dick. Joined by Zach Davis. The cue's silent. It trips people up sometimes. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> We're not going to get into this. <laughs> and Olga Segura. Hi, guys. <laughs> oh, all right. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I really enjoyed your uh, totes. Yeah. <laughs> so, shout out to yep. Sarah E. Neville for the adverbs this week. Yes. As a part of our ongoing efforts to do as little work as possible on this podcast. <laughs> requested, we have outsourced, outsourced our, adverb. our adverbs. So thank you to thank Sarah, you, Sarah for sending in some Toad's great ones. Uh, yeah, and we also outsourced our cocktail this week. So what do we have on tap, Yeah, Zach? speaking of, let's get these distributed. Yeah, Olga, right. thanks for playing bartender this week. Yeah, I hope you guys like it. it these are th- We're getting like, like it. Closer to summer, and the drinks are getting. Oh, you like, already have one. No yeah. surprise. <laughs> that's what. That's why I put ice in it. I wanted to fool you guys into thinking it was summer already. Alrighty. So yeah, yeah so what are we Jake uh, wrote in that with Pontifex at Pontifex. This was on Twitter. Naming new cardinals. Try a Negroni this week. Equal parts gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari. And he, the cardinal thing is that the drink is red because Campari is red. So hashtag red hat. Hashtag nice. red drink. So thanks, Good call, Jake. Jake. Thank you. Yeah. So to. Well, cheers to the new Cardinals. Yeah. The, the to-be Cardinals, we'll right? To-be Cardinals, the, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about them later, but cheers. <clears throat> cheers. Today we've got Rabbi Avram Lotek, who is the co-founder of BASE, which is a project that seeks to create communities focused on hospitality, learning, and services. And then we've got our Constellations and Desolations, where we show you where we did or didn't find God this week. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Starting with a quick update, uh, three weeks ago, we brought a story about the uncertain fate of 50,000 Haitians living in the U.S. under uh, temporary protected status. Um, these are people who left Haiti after the earthquake in 2010 and have been able to live here. President Trump had until May 24th to decide whether to extend that status or not. And on Monday, he extended that status for another six months. Usually the status has been extended for 18 months at a time. So it's not completely settled at this point. But um that's good news. <laughs> Amen. What's our next story? Uh, next, the part. Oh, of, by the oh. way, I was going to ask you. Uh, I heard that Simone Biles ate breakfast this week. Oh, I was about to say we're uh, getting into the part of our show where <laughs> Ashley brings news that Zach doesn't think is did you, news. Uh, do, do, should we report on that? Since she she prays sometimes and is I mean, Catholic and Zach, won a gold she medal. She has gold medals, so uh, right. So lots of gold medals. <laughs> um, no, but in other Catholic. Pop celebrity news. <laughs> Rachel Lindsay is the first African American bachelorette, and it's like over twenty seasons of Bachelor and Bachelorette, and she is a graduate of Marquette University Law School. So, yeah, it's the greatest threat to the sanctity of marriage today: the Bachelor. 
All right. <laughs> it like literally lifts up marriage as the greatest thing that you could ever strive that's for. That's insane. I, I mean, I've never, I've never watched The Bachelorette, but if that's the message, Ashley, I'll start. Okay, you you should. And Rachel is actually, I, I've only been watching for like three seasons. My roommate turned me on to it, but Rachel is super legit and smart and kind. And, I, and I, she'll be th- dating 20 people at the same time and then casually throwing them away <laughs> as the season progresses. Good luck, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> On Sunday, some 100 students at Notre Dame walked out during the commencement speech of Vice President Mike Pence. Um, they were doing this to protest uh, his stances on things like immigration, Syrian refugees, LGBT issues. So what do you guys think? A legit protest or campus snowflakes? Well, of course, it's a legit protest. They were respectful. They weren't they didn't try to shout him down or shut down his speech. They were just exercising their own speech. Right. So they coordinated with the campus safety saying we're going to leave just so you know. Where we'll be quiet, we'll be respectful. So I don't know how you can say that that's shutting down someone else's yeah. speech. And they were also super respectful of the people who chose to stay. So I think it is a very legitimate thing to do. And it's not easy to just walk out and, and protest. Yeah, especially when you've got your parents and grandparents coming in town. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, my mom told me, like, if you do a senior prank and you get caught and you're not allowed to walk, I will kill you. Well. Because that day's not about you. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's about, about me. your family. Yeah. <laughs> it's about your family. I want my photo. <laughs> so. They were also missing out on the speaker after Mike Pence, which was Father Greg Boyle, the great Jesuit who founded Homeboy Industries. Yeah, I got to interview him on the radio show today. It's oh, serious. You? Yeah. And we asked him if he got a chance to talk to Vice President Pence. And he said yes. And he, evidently, people in Pence's family read Greg Boyle's book and he said, my family loves you. Um, and also revealed that uh, Mike Pence's nephew is a Jesuit volunteer at Homeboy Industries. Wow. Who knew? Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you get a chance to watch, uh, I mean, it's anything that Greg Boyle does, whether it's a Ted talk, an article, uh, an interview with an Zach interview. Davis <laughs> <laughs> or, but, but his, his speech, uh, you know, it's a bummer. I, I commend those people for walking out, but, the fact that they got had to miss Greg Boyle's yeah. address was sad. It's a good one. All right. What's our next story, Zach? Pope Francis surprised uh, some people over the weekend by announcing that a new consistory, which is a fancy Catholic word for saying the Pope's going to create five new cardinals, two Europeans, one from Spain, one from Sweden. Well, the other three are coming from Mali, Laos, and Latin America. And this kind of continues Pope Francis's move, um, shifting the uh College of Cardinals away from being very Eurocentric, which has been a theme of his papacy. Um, so three out of five of these have never had a cardinal before. And the the choice from El Salvador, Rosa Chavez, uh, was a good friend of uh, blessed Oscar Romero, um, who has under Pope Francis gotten a retrieval. He was kind of a persona non grata for a while, uh, because of his connection to liberation theology. Uh, so hit, raising Rosa Chavez as a cardinal is a signal of the kind of church Pope Francis wants. That's right. What's next, Olga? So today, the meeting that many people have been anxiously or excitedly awaiting, Pope Francis and Trump have finally met at the Vatican. So today we are recording on Wednesday, May 24th, and they met today. Um, and it started off 
you know, our Rome correspondent uh, wrote a piece and he described it as sort of starting off very tense. Um, but it got a lot friendlier. Pope Francis, as is expected, talked about peace and the need to sort of engage in interreligious dialogue, which many people saw as like really inspiring and hopefully you know, will inspire Trump to kind of follow in Pope Francis's example. Well, the president's last three tweets after he met with the Pope all contain the word peace. Wow. wow. And two of them, the word was in all caps, in fact, to show emphasis. <laughs> um, so that's hopeful. Yeah. The president was thinking about peace going into the meeting and mm-hmm. left. Uh, well, the Pope gave uh, President Trump a copy of his encyclicals, which he typically does to heads of state, but also he personally wrote a note inside of his World Day of Peace message uh, for 2017. So God only knows what he wrote there. <laughs> but also, like, it's... I just pray that it actually works because Trump just got back from making a $100 billion arms sale to Saudi Arabia. There's saber- but he, al- he also is coming off a trip to Israel and Palestine in which peace was a central part of that agenda. He really was trying was, yeah. to bring both sides together for peace in the Middle East. Was trying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you either he's successful. Um, but, you know, he's already dropped the mother of all bombs. Fired Tomahawk missiles and they're saber rattling with North Korea almost like twice a week now. Mm-hmm. So I'm praying that he comes away with uh, a strong message of peace. So in the Wall Street Journal, uh, William McGurn makes this seemingly perennial like Pope Francis and Trump are the same argument that they're both uh, very good at insulting people they disagree with. Uh, President Trump, you know, had all of his nicknames, low energy, low energy, Jeb, little Markia. I don't know how he'd said all these. <laughs> <laughs> little Marco, little Marco, crooked Hillary um, and crazy Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess Pope Francis is also good at insults. He he calls people the like the he's. Goes to the example of Pope Francis saying building walls is not Christian, as if that's on the same <laughs> level as Crooked Hillary or Lion Ted. But I will say I think there are like smarter versions of this argument where they they you know they are both kind of populist figures who came into establishments with the intention of shaking up those establishments and uh, doing so in a way that might be unsettling to people who were comfortable how things were. And they both are um, probably the most high profile critics of the neoliberal world order right now. Like they come at it from very different places. um, But I think they would both have, you know, strong critiques of the, of the Davos set and uh, free trade at the expense of people. I think that's Pope Francis's concern. I think I, mean, that, I think the president think, is concerned at the expense of profit. Yeah. And also, I think... I but mean, I, there's I a think different, that's what he ran on. I th- well, there's a difference between being a populist and being popular, right? A populist is someone who takes looks at someone's fears and uh, their insecurities about their economic situation and says, I can only I can fix this, I'm going to make it better, and exploits that fear. Whereas someone you have someone like Pope Francis who is constantly filling people with hope and it's not something that the pope is even he's not the pope isn't saying like listen to me and i'll make it better the pope is primarily just listening yeah so i think that's the difference trump instills fear in people and whereas pope francis makes us super hopeful so it it, i i i side with zach on this one i think these hot takes are 
They're yes. hot takes. They're, yeah, cold, they're, they're, <laughs> they're cold takes. <laughs> and I'll just challenge. I'll just challenge. Wow. That face when your joke doesn't takes. land. They're flat takes. Cold takes and flat jokes. And now we are joined by Rabbi Avram. Thanks for coming. Cheers. Happy to be here. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start with some very basics because this is a Catholic podcast. Um, So rabbis, what do they do? Are they are priests the Catholic version of rabbis? Are they different? What do you do? Like X Men, we are creatures that come to life. <laughs> Certain type of mutant powers. <laughs> rabbi is Hebrew for teacher. Oh. Okay. Um, so that at its core, that's what a rabbi is, but also refers to a certain type of religious training and proficiency in Jewish text and some type of pastoral skills. I mm-hmm. guess. Too. Yeah. So you are a teacher, um, and you are the co-founder of this group called Base or a group group project. How would you describe it? Yes, and yes. Uh, when I, I finished rabbinical school about two and a half years ago, and my partner and I, Yael, and my our dear friends who are out in Brooklyn now, John and Faith, we came up with this project called Base, and the idea is to empower pluralistic rabbinic couples. That means a rabbi and a rabbi's partner, but the couple could be queer, straight. Orthodox, conservative, reform, those are different Jewish denominations, but to empower their homes as convening points for Jewish life. So we gather around three main pillars celebrating the Jewish calendar. So we celebrate Shabbat and holidays together, different learning opportunities and community service. Um, Those are the three main pillars, but how it'll look will depend on the personalities of the couple. And the idea really came from, you know, young people aren't necessarily running to houses of worship or at least synagogues and how y'all are <laughs> no, doing no, but, yeah, no. um, but are still seeking community and meaning and learning and uh, intentionality so this was a way of sort of stripping the rabbis from of their pulpits and sort of getting into the pews and um you sort of and it's all out of our home so so what's like an average get together how many people are coming what are their ages you gotta come are you free this saturday come for shabbat lunch okay <laughs> Or Friday night dinner. It's all different types of folks. Yeah. You know, it's um, single folks, folks who are partnered with Jewish partners or non-Jewish partners, Jews of color, queer Jews, uh, Orthodox refugees, as I'll call them, people who come from, say, more traditional or Orthodox backgrounds, but have since left and are still seeking community. So all different types of people. Non-Jews. Yes. So what has your work with BASE taught you about the role of religion in the lives of millennials specifically? I think people sort of assume that millennials are uh, like a checked out group of people, you know, they like wait for things to come to them. But I think if anything that base has taught us is just how thirsty people are for connection. So you said earlier that people aren't going to synagogues. Is there like an underlying goal to get people going to synagogue? Yes. What's our secret? <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to say. No, it's fair. I don't know. Have you heard of Chabad? I've not. They're like the they're an ultra orthodox they're a sect of ultra orthodox Jews. You might see them around Union Square or, or Times Square, uh, asking people if they're Jewish. And I've been, so. I've, been asked. You've been asked. I've been asked if I was Jewish and, before, and you've answered. No, I feel no, like, and well, it's, it's, you should I, see what happens. They bring you into. I, a I know. It's like no. I'm, I didn't mean to let you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, right. So you know they're a um, 
of ultra orthodox tend to be a, a pretty insular group, but of of the sects, and there are many, they're known to for their let's say outgoingness, which some might understand as <laughs> evangelical Jews. Yeah, or like a, a, a type of missionizing. They ask people if they're Jews, and if they answer yes, they'll invite them to lay phylacteries, which is part of like a daily worship traditionally for men, or they'll give out candles for people to light for Friday night for to welcome in the Sabbath. Um, you know, Chabad is known for its radical inclusivity and also its like agenda. And so for us, like we felt it shouldn't only be the Jewish fundamentalists who can exhibit radical hospitality, but the people who, you know, who are teaching or opening up their homes should sort of reflect the diversity of where the Jewish people are at too. So no real secret agenda, or at least that we've yet <laughs> uncovered. I mean, Sure. Yeah. Who you knows? Know, we believe in what we're doing. You know, we yeah. believe we believe that living the, the the Jewish calendar has something to offer. That there's, you know, in, in learning and community service. But outside of that, um, yeah. Are you tuned in at all to the conversation that's happening in the Christian world over the Benedict option? It's this idea that like Western civilization is like lost. Christianity is like going to be persecuted, targeted. We need to build a new ark to like for everyone to hop on so that we can save the church. Um, that's a very where are you guys like, going to go? Like, <laughs> Utah or we are gonna we're gonna wait out Mars? the wait out Jerusalem? the storm until <laughs> will Jerusalem take us? <laughs> I don't know. No, but the basic idea is that like Christians, if they want their kids to be Christians, or Jews, if they want their kids to be Jews, they need to be very intentional about passing on that faith because right. they are in a hostile environment. Sure. Um. So does that resonate at all to you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, depends who you ask, but in. I mean, I grew up in a unique home. My mom comes from like a modern Orthodox background, which is very traditional. My dad comes from a very secular background. I grew up speaking Yiddish, which mm-hmm. um, usually you're only going to find like young people who speak Yiddish today if they grow up living in those ultra Orthodox communities, which, mm-hmm. and I didn't. But I mean, that, that fear of, you know, annihilation or persecution or assimilation or losing our identity, of course, I mean, one could point to our history and say, well, there's somewhat, you know, there's some Space precedent, there's some precedent there. <laughs> but, but that's not enough to, inter- to, to, I think, to inspire like religious affiliation yeah. or connection. It doesn't sound like your, your community is driven by fear. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> I might not be, I strive not to yeah. be, but I, if you were going to look at the establishment, quote mm-hmm. unquote, I mean, definitely yeah. Jews are dying out. Jews are marrying non-Jews. Jews aren't going to synagogue okay. and, tra- and affiliating in traditional ways. So I think you definitely have that, that type of fear. The question mm-hmm. is like, what do you do? Yeah. How do, do you do? respond? How do you respond to that? Yeah. And that's what, and you're one answer, right? You're trying to come up with one answer. What are some of the other answers? Oh, um, I mean, yeah. Tell us all the dumb ones. No, I mean, like, <laughs> it's, it, I, I, you retreat in, like, it, I think we're trying to, to hold a posture that's, it's a, it's a delicate dance and balance of, you know, it's what open orthodoxy, I think, strives to be, which is committed to, to the religion, committed to, to a certain set core beliefs and practices, but also with a, with a posture of radical inclusivity and openness to the, to the outside world. Um, but yeah, I think people generally will like retreat in and become insular and push away what's new and, or, or they'll go all out and maybe they'll, they'll sort of water down a little bit of what, of where they've come from. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about, is, would you consider interfaith work central or part of, or 
Definitely. I mean, interfaith is such an interesting word. It, it like it reeks of like this religious science fiction premise where you've got like these like interspecies, you know, like are, but um, anamorphs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what. But listen, how old I, I also get like, my my maternal great grandfather, after whom I'm named. You know, he he fled Eastern Europe to flee pogroms. You know, these state sponsored attacks against Jewish communities, and he came here as a teen and. You know, he had three kids, and when his daughter married a non-Jew, he wrote her off. He he sat shiva, which is a mourning period, and he, you know, he wasn't in contact with her. I mean, she would write home letters, but um, you know, again, well, how how do we <laughs> interfaith work? Interfaith work, yeah, it's a slippery slope. My <laughs> but like, that's not where we live today, right? Like the yeah. the, the United States president's daughter it's common knowledge has converted through like an orthodox rabbinical court and like from john stewart to adam sandler like jews wear their jewish star with a certain type of pride you know um so of of course like inter interfaith work whatever that means is central to my work because i don't think you can really be a rabbi in today's day and age and not cater to the community and the community is rapidly changing this trip that i just came back from speaking of were you there yes. when the president was there no we just overlapped ah. we waved to each other yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or uh, extended other like yeah. you know hand gestures sure. to each other. and um, we won't say who is that's exactly right yeah we've got a whole history there you know but um <laughs> um you know i was there on a trip called honeymoon israel which brings recently married couples or couples that are in a committed relationship to israel for about 10 day trip, highly subsidized trip. They pay something, but, and it's mostly interfaith couples. So couples with at least one mm. Jewish partner. Um, and introducing them to Judaism. Each trip has a Jewish educator that comes, that is part of it. Um, they're a great organization, you know. Why so. don't Catholics do that? Like, there were mad so. Catholics on our trip. Were oh, there? Okay. oh, of course. Yeah. One of who's a parishioner at St. Francis oh. and is hopefully going to join our spiritual readings group. So this is a question we present to all of our guests. If you could canonize anyone, what, can, whatever the Jewish version, the of, Jewish version of that is, yeah, it, could be, it could be a Christian, a Jew. It doesn't. It could be someone completely secular. Like okay. we've had Disney characters. So. Say more about canonization. Yeah. Who do you, Who do you want to hold up as a model to be emulated? Hmm. I mean, right now I'm I'm longing for John Stewart. He is someone who um, speaks his truth, who strives to empower different people, who's a, uh, a political leader, who's somewhat tied into his own, I think strongly tied into his, his roots and where he comes from, and uh, has, a, has a Torah, we'll say, a teaching that resonates quite deeply i think yeah i personally. really wish i had his commentary at this point in our yes. nation's john stewart's history. like commentary on the bible or uh, or that the gospel also or and what? and the presidency yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you so much for joining us avram great thanks for having me guys so i can crash one of your uh, scripture parties no crashing you're invited <laughs> excellent <laughs> join us whenever uh where can people find out more about your work basehillel.org Awesome.
Okay, time for listener feedback. Zach, what do we have? So our first letter or email. <coughs> our first <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> our first email comes from Courtney on confession. She writes, "Could you please please do a show on reconciliation?" Uh, maybe it would be called Reconciliation or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Sacrament or Reconciliation. It's not just for murderers and bank robbers. <laughs> this is a great idea, Courtney. Yeah. She writes, seriously, confession has been one of the greatest struggles in my faith life. I've never heard it discussed in a real and casual way. The two ways that it's typically discussed that she brings up that she brings up are cricket noises. Like no one, just, no one goes, yep. no one talks about it. Or it's all guilt all the time. In my mind, this view is much worse. Sadly, Catholic message boards perpetuate this in a rather horrid manner. Examination of conscience can turn into, did you watch a documentary that positively portrayed Martin Luther? Did you lustfully look at a hamburger on a Lenten Friday? Did you participate in a jousting competition? For which she provides a, a link to a message board, which <laughs> someone is questioning. Oh Some Pope somewhere down the line said jousting was a sin and they went and they, so it's not the most healthy of practices. Yeah. Stay off the message boards. Come to our Twitter feed. (laughs) (laughs) And also listen to our first episode in which we talked to Father James Martin about confession. Yeah. So it's this is something people bring up a lot. So I imagine we're not done talking about it. But yeah, that first episode, Jim brings up a great point where he says, you know, a lot of people stop going to confession because they had a really bad experience. Mm -hmm. And he makes a point. If you had a bad experience with a physician, would you never see a doctor again? Right. Uh. So yeah, check out episode one. It was our pilot. I did have a bad experience with a dentist and I stopped going for like five Forever, years. Yeah. <laughs> so. And was worse off for it. So. Right. Go to confession. <laughs> okay. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of the show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God this week. Um, and we're going to invite Avram to jump in on this if well, he so chooses. Should we go first? I feel like we should model. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Model. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, Zach, what's your consolation or desolation? Uh, so I Ashley introduced me to this concept of the, are we calling I, them hangover parishes? Did I, we call I it called it, it an after party parish. After yeah, party. Did. You, you an, called it that. Okay. An after party parish. Right. So this is the one that's across the street from your apartment. <laughs> Uh, I just moved, so I checked out the one. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful church. Uh, so I went there, and to my surprise, it was First Communion, which, you know, on the one hand, you can be like, oh, Mass is going to be longer than I thought. But also, like, it's all these cute kids and white dresses and suits, and it's great. And the thing that consoled me this week was they got up to do their First Communion song at the end, and they sang a song that I used to sing when I was in high school in my youth group. Um, so they did the open the eyes of my heart, Lord. There we go. <laughs> open Zach. the it's eyes of my heart. He did this to sing. He only did this to sing. I want to see you. So imagine that, but a bunch of seven-year-olds like yeah. in the most adorable way. Um, so I find myself tearing up just like w- watching this happen and feeling connected to a community uh, and relationships that I had at a previous point in my life. And so that was consoling for me. This can, week. can I tell my hangover church story? Absolutely. <laughs> so this is week. that what this segment is called? <laughs> like yeah. Hangover church no. yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Got so it. I, the, on this Sunday, the, I was back home in Arlington and the only mass I could 
get myself to was the 130 Spanish mass at like a random <laughs> parish in Arlington. You speak some Spanish. I do. Yeah. No. So I, I, I got all the important parts. Um, But at this random parish were the relics of St. Padre Pio. Look at that. <laughs> I was like, wow. So it paid off. Yeah. Go. But that's not your consolation or your desolation. No, no? it's not. Um, but it's related. Okay, tell me. <laughs> because the reason I was back in Arlington uh, was for my sister's 30th birthday party, oh, um, yeah. which was really great. Um, and even better than the fact that it was her 30th. Well, no, that was the best part. But it was also great that my laptop is has been broken for the past two weeks. Um, so I couldn't do any work <laughs> over the weekend. I could finally, be, I could be completely present to my sister and to my family. Um, and that was really, really nice. And I actually took like an extra day off. Like I took Monday off, which I've, that's just one day off. That's just, that's not if, any extra days. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Ashley is a workaholic and she works really hard. So to know that she actually took a day off, like that was actually my yeah. the a day of, off where like I actually yeah. wasn't on my yeah. laptop secretly working from home. Yeah, and you didn't respond to any of my emails. It really put a cramp in my day. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I'm glad you were able to be present with your family, and you took a well deserved day off. I did. Which I did. shout out to me and Eloise for having to like convince you into doing that. Yeah, no, and also shout out to Jackie for being thirty. She like came out of the womb at age 30. So she's really like in her own now. <laughs> she can just like wear cardigans and <laughs> pearl earrings and feel very like at peace with herself. <laughs> and shout out to her husband, Justin, who threw a great surprise party. So if you have a desolation, you can jump in and mine's complicated. I'm still working through it. Okay. Yeah. There are moments okay. of godliness We're, and it's also okay, moments we of work through it every single week. Okay, cool. Like, we're in, so I just came back from this this trip where with with twenty or so couples recently married, um, and uh, a bunch of whom were married to non Jewish partners. And so one of them asked us sit with me, and she's talking a bit about her own her own family background. She she married a, a non Jewish man and a, a man of Indian descent. And when she told she grew up quite traditional and religious, and when she told her family that she was going to marry this man they after one or two email follow-ups they have ceased all communication they weren't at her wedding they they haven't been in touch with her since then and um it's been pretty like heartbreaking for her to not have her family meet this new part of her life who she who she loves and who she feel you know she said that she feels like god has brought into her life and um, and so here she was, here we were sitting together in Jerusalem, this like complicated city of, of multi-faith traditions and like ask, wondering if there's a place for her still like within, within Judaism. So there was a moment, I guess there's a moment of desolation there of just, of, of heartbreak of that she feels, um, and the brokenness in her own family dynamic where her parents don't, at least at this moment and in, in time, don't necessarily want to have a place in her life. Well, what's the other one? Consolation. Yeah. But there was also something so inspiring about her being there with her partner and wanting to know 
making an effort. Yeah, yeah. I just want to just, you know the, the the basic question of of whether or not there is a place for which to which we have to say like resounding yes. Like there's a teaching in the Talmud Rahmana Liba by that the the merciful one requires or requests or demands the heart. Like that's that's what God wants. Um, so there's something quite powerful about about seeing her there in her full in her most vulnerable self, but still seeking seeking or wondering if God or Judaism might have some resonance still for her. Yeah. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah, you're putting our consolation yeah. desolation to shame. <laughs> you're really good at this. Yeah. Are you sure it's your first time doing this? Consolation desolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I'm gonna bring it to our Shabbat table. That's great. All right. What about you, Olga? So my consolation this week is that in the past, I've talked with you guys about how difficult it is for me to sort of talk about my faith life. Um, But I decided that this week I was going to be a little more intentional about it and sort of step outside of the America circles and talk to my friends about it. Um, So I had a conversation with one of my best friends and I was asking her, what's your relationship with God? You know, we've never talked about it. And she's just like, I have a very personal relationship with God. And we talked for hours I was just like, okay, this is not as terrifying as I thought it was, you know, and it was super consoling to know that this sort of illogical fear that I had about having this conversation was completely unfounded because my friend was super open and super vulnerable with me about the whole thing. So it was really beautiful. That's awesome. And that's not an easy thing, a topic to broach a lot of the time. So the fact that you did that, kudos to you. That's And now like our listeners, I'm sure can think of this person right who they want to talk to this about uh now you have a segue i was listening to this dope podcast <laughs> there it is and someone talked about <laughs> how they brought this up with a friend what do you think hmm. yeah so take follow olga's lead if you're feeling shoot your shot right yeah, yeah. pull up from 40 guys you yeah. got this or just steal their phone and download judge Whitical for them also that that works too <laughs> i mean <laughs> and then they'll bring it to you you don't yes. even have to <laughs> Okay. Judge Whittacle is brought to you by American Media and produced by Wyatt Massey and Eloise Blondiot. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sandrup SJ. Jewish formation provided by Rabbi Avram Lotek. Lotek? Turn it! <laughs> Lotek! I knew there was an M. <laughs> Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Research help from Jack McCordick. Adverbs provided by Sarah E. Neville. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Judgmental Show and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Judgmental at AmericanMedia.org. I am Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.